Let's just bow our hearts and just commit this study to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and it is powerful. Father, we thank you that your word says of itself that it is true from the beginning. Father, thank you that, Jesus, you made that declaration that thy word is truth. And Father, in a world where there is so much uncertainty, there is so much opinion, Lord, we thank you that we have something that is solid, something that doesn't change, something that is secure and sealed for all eternity. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege we have of being able to read your word freely in this land. Uh, Father, we are mindful, of course, of those that don't have that privilege, and we pray for them. But Lord, this morning we ask that your spirit would minister to each one of us as we study your word together. Give us understanding, give us insight. Lord, we pray we would um, be able to learn the the details of what happened and why the, the writer wrote these things to, to those recipients at the time. But Lord, more than that, that we would learn things and be challenged by things that impact our lives right now. So speak to us, Lord, right where we are this morning, uh, that we would grow together in knowledge and grace. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read, as I've done throughout this book, um, from this uh, paraphrase uh, commentary, um, the Jewish New Testament, and it just it just phrases things in a slightly different way. Uh, but follow through in your Bibles if you can as well. And we just read, let brotherly friendship continue. But don't forget to be friendly to outsiders, for in so doing, some people without knowing it have entertained angels. Remember those in prison and being mistreated, as if you were in prison with them and undergoing their torture yourselves. Marriage is honourable, and in every respect, and in particular, sex within marriage is pure. But God will indeed punish fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be satisfied with what you have. For God himself has said, I will never fail you or abandon you. Therefore, we say with confidence that Adonai is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a human being do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke God's message to you. Reflect on the results of their way of life and imitate their trust. Yeshua, the Messiah, is the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not be carried away by various strange teachings. Uh, for what uh, is good is for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods. People who have made these uh, the focus of their lives have not benefited thereby. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle in the tent were not permitted to eat. For the high priest brings the blood of animals into the holiest place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So too Yeshua suffered death outside the gate in order to make the people holy through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him who is outside the camp and share his disgrace. For we have no permanent city here. On the contrary, we seek the one to come. Through him, therefore, let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. For this is the natural product of lips that acknowledge his name. But don't forget doing good and sharing with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your lives as people who will have to render an account. So make it a task of joy for them, not one of groaning that is of no advantage to you. Keep praying for us, for we are certain that we have a clear conscience and want to conduct ourselves properly in everything we do. 
And all the more I beg you to do this so that I may be restored to you that much sooner. The God of Shalom brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Yeshua, by the blood of an eternal covenant. May that God equip you with every good thing you need to do his will. And may he do in us whatever pleases him through Yeshua, the Messiah. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I urge you, brothers, to bear with my message of exhortation. For I have written to you only briefly. Know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, I will bring him with me when I come to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. The people from Italy send greetings to you. Grace be with you all. Okay, so that's the the portion uh, that we're going to be going through this morning. You know, as, as I go through this, um, just making a few notes, uh, as I said, this is a great uh, chapter. We, we said, I think, a week or two ago, that these last three chapters of Hebrews really focus on that um, great exhortation that Paul gives us at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 about faith, hope and love. You know, in chapter uh, 11 of Hebrews, we have a great chapter all about faith. Um, in chapter 12, it really focuses on the hope that we have. And then this chapter, again, really starts and focuses very much on the brotherly love uh, that should be there. So all of these things just, just dovetailing together beautifully. It's another subtle indication that we have the same author of these things as has uh, written much of the New Testament, i.e. Paul. Uh, again, we don't want to make doctrine of that. Um, you know, but, uh, I think sometimes those, just that having that understanding, you get a, a kind of the heart of what's going on here as well. And so many of these things are kind of typical Paul expressions. Um, but let's go through them. Uh, I just want to read to you these, these kind of highlights from the verses. Verse one, quick summary, and then we'll go through in detail. You know, don't grow cold or weary with each other. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but you know, that's easy to do sometimes. We, we get complacent. Any relationship that goes on for a period of time, it's very easy to get complacent and to, to not appreciate what you have. We've been blessed by people that have come into the fellowship at various times, uh, that have commented on the love that they experience and they feel here. Um, but you know, sometimes as you stay in any group for a while, uh, you can get very complacent and we, we guard against that. The second verse, really, the admonition there is to continue to show grace. Um, the grace that we've received, we're to show to others. Third verse, again, a quick headline summary is, you know, that remember that we are part of something much bigger. Now, the focus is on praying for those who are suffering persecution in prison or whatever else. But it's also an admonition to remember that we are part of something that is much, much bigger than just where we are. We're part of the body of Christ around the world. You know, and that's a great joy, it's a great privilege, it's also a great responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters and certainly to lift them before the throne. We'll come back to that. Um, verse four, we'll talk about that in a while. Again, really, I, I think the, the idea in the context of this verse or this chapter is that love starts in the home. Now, of course, love starts with God, but you know, in terms of our being able to express love to other people, to show love to other people, it really starts in the home. And if we have that home unit correct, if we had that those relationships in our homes uh biblically based, then we're able to express love to others. We'll, we'll talk about those things in a moment. Um verse five just goes on and really the question at the end is, you know, what could be greater than God? 
the, the subjects covetousness, you know, and the things that people strive after or want to obtain and so on. But, you know, there is nothing greater than our being able to say that, that God is ours, that, that we are God's, that we have this relationship with him, that we've been promised the exceedingly great riches that Christ has made available. We have this inheritance that so much of the book of Hebrews has spoken about. So we'll come back to that as well. In the uh, sixth verse, uh, really, there's a kind of an admission there. Don't be afraid of having little. You know, sometimes in this life, we get to the, the point of worrying about what would happen if, and if we lost this, then what would we do? Well, Paul, of course, we know, had learned to be content in every situation. And there's a great lesson for us there. You know, we don't need to have a lot of stuff. And of course, we're in a situation now where those that have typically had a lot of stuff, those that have been very um, strong in, in a monetary sense, very wealthy, well, all of a sudden, that wealth is crumbling, isn't it? We're seeing it going on around us. People that had fortunes, suddenly those fortunes are disappearing. Uh, you know, how much money has been uh, wiped off of stocks and shares recently? Um, so we'll, we'll come back to that. You know, but, but for us as believers, you know, life does not consist of the abundance of things which we possess. <clears throat> then in um, verse 7, there's that admonition to pray for those in authority over you and also then to follow their example. We'll, we'll come back to that and, and explain why, why I believe that's so important that you be praying for me and you be praying for anybody else that you feel is a, a spiritual authority in your life. You know, it's so important because actually we, we, we work together. And if if you are praying for me, then I'm able, more able by God's grace to serve you. And this, this all works together. So you you benefit from those prayers yourselves. And there's, of course, the the um, just reminder in verse eight that we have an anchor for our souls, as, as the writer of the Hebrews has already told us that Jesus is that anchor to stop us drifting, to stop us wandering. Nine carries on a similar theme, holding fast to that which is good. It's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. You know, in, in the book of Timothy and Timothy and Titus, one and two Timothy and Titus, there is so much emphasis on doctrine. Now, those two individuals were pastors. And Paul writes to those, the emphasis is on making sure they don't wander from that which is true. You know, we have a culture within the church that is so tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. A new thing comes along. I had an email from uh, a brother um, who I had the privilege of taking through some courses with the Calvary School of Ministry a year or two ago. Uh, and he was just asking some questions about some things he'd heard. I'll come back to that in a while. Um, but, you know, it's just another wind of doctrine blowing through the church. Then, um, of course, we have uh, that section from verse 10 through verse 16. And it speaks about the offering. You know, the offering that was offered under the Jewish system no longer applies to us. So in a sense, the question is, so what should we offer? How do we bring an offering that's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord? And should we? You know, well, yes, we should. And we'll talk about that. Um, verse 17 through 19. You know, once again, the, the writer here goes back to that issue of praying for those in authority to, to lift them before the throne. You know, I can't do what I do without your prayers, without your support. Uh, and, you know, so we'll, we'll talk about that. And then to conclude the book, it's really uh, just a focus upon the grace by which we stand. Um, you know, that grace that enables us to walk by faith, to walk in the way, walk undefiled. Um, so we'll conclude the, the book with those things. So. Let's jump right back to the, the very first verse and we'll uh, we'll see how we get on. So we start, let brotherly love continue. Now, 
implies that brotherly love is already going on. And of course, within any Christian church group, within any fellowship, brotherly love should be evident. It should be there. You know, Jesus told the disciples that he was giving them a new commandment, that they should love one another. Not not as the, the world loves, not as the world does. You know, it's not just a, a fondness, a friendship or a relationship of convenience because you're going to get something out of it. Uh, now, this is a, a love. This is the, the agape love um, that we read so much of in the New Testament. It's an unconditional love. And I think in, in that, uh, that statement, let brotherly love continue, they're saying two things. The first thing is that brotherly love already existed, which is a good thing. But there's a danger that brotherly love can grow cold. And as I said a moment ago, we can become complacent. We can forget just how much of a blessing we really are to each other. And it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, we get to a situation like we're in now, where we're in this lockdown because of COVID-19, and we can't meet together. You know, we can't have that fellowship that we used to have. You know, we can't give each other the hugs we used to give. You know, and just seeing each other face to face, you know, there's something so special about that. And maybe this is a good reminder of all that God has blessed us with. And when we're out of this and we're able to meet again, you know, how lovely it's going to be just to spend that time uh, together to to encourage each other and so on. But we, we mustn't ever get to that point where we become complacent with what God has done. So this is just an exhortation. Let brotherly love continue. And the idea is let it continue to continue. It's, it's an ongoing thing. And and there is also the implication that it takes effort. You know, every relationship takes effort. You know, a relationship doesn't just happen. Every relationship takes effort. You know, to make it work, you have to put into that relationship. So if our brotherly love within this fellowship is to continue then we have to put in. You can't just take, you have to give in. And let me just again, uh, you know, forgive me if this is a, an old, worn cliche now uh, in a sense, but, you know, you think of the the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee receives the, the River Jordan, water flowing into it, and it flows out at the southern end of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is just gorgeous. It's teeming with life. It's beautiful around the edge of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. There's lovely uh, plants and flowers and all sorts of things. Anybody that's been to Israel, you'll, you'll, you'll know what it's like. It's just a lovely place, very tranquil. Um, apart from the times of the storms there, but that, you know, but the, the sea itself and the whole area is, is beautiful. But then you go down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea just takes in that there is no outlet for the Dead Sea. And of course, it's dead as we, we know, you know, there's no life, there's nothing living in there. And the analogy is, of course, that if we are like the Sea of Galilee, that we're taking in, but then we're giving out to others, then, then there'll be joy. There'll be that life, uh, about us. If we're just taking in all the time and we're not giving out, we become like the Dead Sea. Um, so just a, maybe a hopeful little thing to, to, to remember. So verse one again, let brotherly love continue. It takes effort. Uh, and I would, I would always challenge you, you know, every day, ask yourself, what have I done for someone else in the fellowship today? Just ask yourself that question. Now, it may be practical things. And certainly at the moment, there are practical things we can be doing for each other. As and when needs arise, and you know anybody that has a need, please ask. You know, there's plenty of people in the fellowship that are able and willing and would love to help in any way they can. So never be afraid of asking, because that's also a part of this relationship. But the second thing is, you know, we, we need to be uh, just constantly thinking about what we are doing. And if the only thing you can do, and I say only in inverted commas, if the only thing you can do is pray for another person in the fellowship that day, well then do it. Because what a blessing it is when we are praying for each other, when we're lifting each other before the throne. 
you know, and you'll find that as you start to pray for each other more, that that desire. I think it's the 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 the, the French have said that uh, eating food increases appetite, uh, something to that effect. Well, praying's the same. When we start praying for each other, you know, we want to pray for each other more, and the Lord will lay upon our hearts the things that we can be praying for. So, okay, verse one, verse two. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. So the focus, to, first of all, on ourselves, you know, we get our own camp right. But let's think about other people, too. Let's think about those that are on the, the periphery, those that are maybe not members of the fellowship. Think about those in your lives that maybe are not necessarily family members, um, but people that are uh, connected with you somewhere. They could be work colleagues. It could be people we bump into Um Back in the day when we used to go out and about, you remember, remember those days? Well, you know, be, it says be, be not forgetful. You know, so it's a focus on loving each other, but don't forget about other people too. You know, there's a, a little warning here. Don't become isolated or insular. Um, you know, we need to remember that the church is to, to be getting out there. We have to be salt and light in this world. It's not just about behind the, 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 the closed doors, as it were. So be not forgetful to entertain strangers. And then this incredible statement that the writer makes here for thereby. So for those who have entertained strangers, some have entertained angels unaware. What a, an amazing statement that is. Now, the question we've got to ask is why? Why does God allow that? Well, maybe it's a little test. You know, maybe it's just sometimes God will place people on your path just to see how you're going to deal with them. What are you going to do? Are you going to show that love and that grace that you've been a recipient of? Or are you just going to be a little bit like the Pharisees with the, the man uh, on the, the, the Samaritan? You know, are you just going to walk past? And there's a great admonition here to remember that we should show love. We should grow. But, you know, God may set up a test for you to see how you're going to respond. Um, and interestingly, you know, this idea about entertaining angels unawares. I mean, we have the example in the Old Testament with uh, Abraham and the Oaks of Mamre when those three visitors arrive clearly one of them we realize is the Lord the other two are the angels that go on to deal with the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah who end up going and bringing Lot out um, and of course Abraham ends up making a meal for them now initially did he know that they were angelic beings um, I would suspect he didn't but there's one example in scripture and so on you know but for us we, we have no idea where angels are when they will manifest um, but clearly they do. Uh, and I'm not going to take the time now. There's plenty of, of commentaries that will uh, talk about these things. There's been, I mean, Billy Graham wrote a book many years ago. I'm sure some are familiar with about angels. Um, you know, so it's just it's just an admonition to, to show love, to show grace to, to those outside of our immediate group. And then verse three, remember them that are in bonds. So this is the next thing. This is all under this whole banner of love. Love our, our, our own fellowship. Love each other first. Love those that are outside the fellowship. But then also remember that we are part of a body of believers all around the world. I, I, I listened to a really quite humorous anecdote yesterday um, by John Corson, and I can't remember it word for word, but it was along the lines of this chap was standing on a bridge and looking quite forlorn, uh, and another uh, individual came up to him, uh, concerned about his state of mind and why he was standing on the edge of, edge of a bridge and what he might be thinking. Uh, and he just said, oh, you know, how are you? You know, I, I'm a Christian. You know, I just want to just, just talk to you for a minute. And this person replied, oh, he said, oh, oh actually, I'm a Christian too. And so the first chap said, oh, that's great news. He said, oh, he said, uh, he said, Wait, what, what, what type of, of Christian are you? Are you Catholic or Protestant? And, and he said, oh, I'm a Protestant. He said, oh, that's brilliant. I'm a Protestant too. And then he said, oh, um, you know, do you, um, what, what denomination are you? And so the chap said, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. And he said, well, I'm a Baptist too. 
And he said, oh, that's fantastic. And so then he, and he said to him, so uh, what type of, are you a kind of Southern Baptist? Or a, uh, he said, yeah, I'm a Southern Baptist. And he went through all of these different things. And then he said, you know, uh, and, uh, and do, you, do you kind of hold to a, a literal understanding of Scripture? Yeah, I do. And he went all through these things. Then he just got to one minor point where he disagreed with him and he walked off. And it just kind of highlights the fact that, you know, there are issues doctrinally that we need to be absolutely rock solid on. And there is no room for negotiation. But at the same time, we need to remember that we're going to stand next to a great company of people in heaven and people that maybe even will surprise us when we see them there. Um, their theology may not be quite where ours is or we, they may have different views on certain things. But we need to remember to show grace. And and yet we've got to remember that we're part of this body. This verse is an admonition to remember those, whatever denomination, whatever church they're part of, that are going through troubles and trials and tribulations that are being persecuted. You know, and he speaks about those that are in bonds. And now it may be people who are physically in prison. There are many believers around the world who are imprisoned. But there's also many that are in other kind of bonds. And we need to be lifting them before the throne. And we need to be, as it were, bound with them. You know, some of you may remember times in your life when you were bound. And I'm not, I'm not talking about prison. I'm talking about some of the things that the enemy uh, ensnares you and enslaves you with. Um, some of the, the lusts of the flesh. Some of the, the things that end up pulling you down. I mean, we have those three things in Scripture. The love of the, um, uh, the, love of the world. Um, uh, sorry, no, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So those are the three I'm thinking of. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those three things, those enemies uh, that we all ch- we all face and you know are challenged by. Well, again, there are others that are going through things, and maybe by God's grace, we've got the victory over that we've learned to to walk by faith, and we don't give in to those things now. Well, there are many that still struggle, and we mustn't look down on those. We must remember the challenge they're going through and pray for them and lift them before the throne. So again, remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and then we suffer adversity. Well, this is certainly speaking of those that are going through some sort of trial for their faith, as being yourselves also in the body. As I said, we're going to be in heaven with these people, you know, and what a privilege it's going to be to stand with these people and say, we prayed for you. You know, just as we see with uh, Aaron and with her who lifted up Moses' arms. Well, even if we're at a distance, we can still lift up other believers, you know, and pray for them as we're waging this warfare for the Lord. And then we get on to verse four. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, it may seem like a strange verse to throw in amongst this, but the whole thing so far is speaking about love, love within the fellowship. It's speaking about love to those outside the fellowship, to love to the wider body. And then it comes, brings it right back home. And I believe this is such a pivotal issue for us. Now, speaking of marriage, marriage, we know, is a model of Christ and the church. Okay, we really need to be very clear that, that that marriage is not what the world tries to portray it as. Marriage is something very unique, very special, ordained by God to teach us about Christ and the church. Now, back in the, the time uh, that Hebrews was written, there were two uh, sides uh, to this kind of equation. I think both are being addressed here because it says that marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Of course, it's speaking about intimate physical relationship, which is a wonderful and a beautiful thing within marriage. But at the time this was written, you had the, the Romans typically who were all about excess. I mean, very much the kind of world we're living in today. 
you know, uh, very promiscuous in their, their whole approach to things. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into too much because there may be kind of children that are still in earshot, but you, you know, the kind of things that, that we have reports of that were going on in the Roman empire and exactly the same kind of things are going on today. And so for, for one element that, you know, there were those then that steered away from any form of physical relationship because they saw it as being something that was, was not good, was not holy, not special. Um, you know, so, so there's, there's, there's detractors on both sides of this. There's those that go to the excess and there's those that, that try and shut the whole thing down and, and try and suggest that we should avoid those kind of relationships that purely, um, an intimate physical relationship is for procreation only. Those aren't kind of arguments. But that's not what this is saying. It's saying actually, you know, marriage is a really good thing. It's a great thing. And that, that physical intimate relationship is a wonderful thing in the right context within marriage. Now, outside of marriage, it's a snare. It's a real problem. And it's a real, uh, it, well, for believers, it's a no-no. Now, you know, it's a wonderful thing um, for believers to be able to get married and that their first partner is their marriage spouse, the, the, the one that they're marrying. It's a lovely thing. Now, I appreciate and I understand that for some people, that is not the way it's happened. But scripture is very clear that that physical relationship isn't just about pleasure. There's something deeply spiritual that is part of that. And, and unfortunately, the world has no concept of this. And we are bombarded with ideas and images and so on from the media, from the world. Very unhelpful uh, ideas and completely misrepresent what that intimate relationship is all about. It, it seems as something so, so cheap, so casual, and uh, any time anybody can have at it. That, that's not the, the picture that scripture paints. Um, I remember many years ago, uh, the opportunity to counsel two young people. I actually got a phone call one evening. Um, and, um, these, these two young people were in tears on the phone. Uh, and they were telling me that they, they'd been, uh, together. Uh, they hadn't said any details, but they said that they felt this really dark spiritual presence and they were really frightened. And they started talking to me and just, they hadn't said anything else at that point, just simply that they were really concerned and they felt very uh, oppressed and everything else. And I immediately just said, and I, I, I just, the Lord just led me to say, I just said, have you been sleeping together? And they said, yes. I said, well, you've opened the door. What, what do you expect? You know, you've given a foothold to the devil and we're told so clearly in scripture not to do that. It's not a casual thing. It's not something that, you know, ha has, um, well, let me rephrase that. It's something that has a huge spiritual impact. You know, it affects the soul. And Paul, in his writings, particularly in Corinthians, speaks about the, the danger of entering into these kind of relationships outside of marriage. Marriage is this wonderful protection um, for uh, this intimate relationship that is absolutely ordained of God. And it's a wonderful, special thing. So we as a, a fellowship certainly need to be praying for the younger members of the fellowship, those that are, uh, are not yet married. Um, you know, so for, for the youth as they grow up and for those in the fellowship who are not married, pray that God sustains them and helps them, but also praying for those who are married. You know, the, the devil loves to try and get in and, and disrupt marriages and cause problems. You know, this intimate relationship that is an integral part of marriage is so important. You know, it helps. It, 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 it's many times it's been said, it's like the glue that will hold a relationship together. 
You know, so, uh, and Paul makes it very clear that, you know, the husband doesn't have control over his own body, nor the wife over hers, and you shouldn't use that intimate relationship as a kind of a bargaining chip to get what you want or whatever, whatever else. You know, it's something that you enter into together willingly. And again, we were speaking earlier, the idea of relationship involves giving. Well, no more so than in this situation. There's plenty of great commentaries online. In fact, if you want to dig into some of these things deeper, um, uh, Joe Foch, pastor of uh, Carriage of Philadelphia, uh, has got some really good wisdom uh, on this particular issue. Um, so listen to him. And I also encourage um, listening to Scott Gallatin, Pastor Scott, who came and spoke to us um, last year. Um, Scott is um, pastor of Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes in America, just outside of, of New York itself. Um, but he's got about, I think it's eight sessions he takes through Hebrews 13. So it goes into a lot of these things in more detail. But let's let's move on for now. Then he goes on, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, in my note, I said here, you know, what could you want more than God? And he goes on and says this, um, and be content with what things, uh, such things as you have, for he that has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Now, it's in this context that God gives us that that promise or, or reminds us of that promise. That what what else could we want that is greater than our relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, all the things that we have promised, the, the eternity that we have awaiting for us. Even now, the peace, the love, the joy that come through that relationship with Jesus. And yet the problem is we all end up in that downward spiral where the things of this world become also appealing. I think his Strong's um, concordance and commentary or uh, the notes on this, on this verse has that implication of always wanting something you don't have. Well, I guess, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? Um, you know, as you know, I, I, I like guitars. Uh, I have a number of guitars. But one thing I've found um, with the guitars I've bought, you know, before I, I've bought that instrument, I, I've, I've really wanted it and I've been looking forward to it. You know, I've saved up money for it and maybe I've gone into a shop a number of times and I've seen the thing. You get it. And then after a week or two or three weeks, it doesn't have that kind of allure that it once did. And something else will then have that allure. Well, that is covetousness in a sense. And that's the kind of thing we all struggle with. Now, you know, of course, there's nothing wrong with, with having things, with having property, with having possessions. We've got to be so, so careful that we don't let covetousness take over our lives. Okay, there are occasions where there is a legitimate requirement or a need for things. And I hope um, that the things I've bought over the years that I've bought for the purpose of using them for God. What has been said many times, you know, the, 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 the Lord has purchased us. You know, we've been bought at a high price and we're told, therefore, to honor God with our, our body and our spirit, which are the Lord's. And if God owns us, it means everything that we have is also his, which means also our finances. In the Old Testament, you're aware they had that uh, tithing system where typically a tenth of all that they had, not just the money side of it, but a tenth of everything was given to the Lord. Uh, all their increase and everything else. Now, for us, it doesn't apply in a sense. The 10% it doesn't apply because actually God owns everything. Everything you buy, everything that you look at or desire or want, you need to run through that godly filter of actually, is this for God's glory? Is this going to be used for the Lord? 
And if your answer to that question is, well, no, I just want it because I want it, well, you need to be very careful that you're not stepping into that area of covetousness. Again, if you if you want something, if you need something, and the Lord allows you by his grace to afford or to buy something, and it can be used for his glory, that's a fantastic thing. But we need to be so careful because the world, is this, this whole load, we're led astray so often by the, the marketing, uh, the advertising industry that always presents to us the next thing that we need to have. And of course, you know, today we have technology. Everybody wants the latest phone or the latest whatever it is. But the danger is, again, when we just continually want things and we lose sight of the greatest thing that we could possibly have. I'm going to just read to you, if I can, uh, words of a, a song. This is a song by a uh, Christian band called Resurrection Band. Uh, the words by the the uh, well, actually the pastor, um, the lead singer Glenn, Glenn Kaiser. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting him once. Just an incredible, godly man. Uh, but these are the words of the songs. He said, "If I had a penny for every town I've known, if I had a nickel for every song I've sung, if I had a quarter for every tear I cried, and if I had a dollar for every hurt I feel inside, I'd be the richest." the richest one in the world. And he goes on and says, if I had a ruby for every drop of blood you shed, if I had an emerald for every single debt, had a piece of silver for every sin you took, if I had a diamond for every beautiful truth in your book, I'd be the richest, the richest man in the world. When I was lost, a stranger to innocence, when I was guilty in face of such evidence, when I was condemned, that's when the veil was rent. When I was broken, you came to my defense. Again, if I had a ruby for every drop of blood you shed, if I had an emerald for every single debt, if I had a piece of silver for every sin you took, if I had a diamond for every beautiful truth in your book, I'd be the richest, the richest one. You know, I, I love the, the lyrics of that. I love the implication that, you know, if you just think about what we have in Christ, even the, the the opening verse speaks about the places he's gone, obviously speaking about where he's gone with his band, where he's played, had opportunity to minister and so on. You know, just amazed at what God has done. When well, you think what God has done in your life already, you know, you think of the riches you have. You know, it, it's so easy to to want something else until you realize how much we've got. And we may think, well, I'm not particularly rich. Well, it's all very relative, isn't it? Because, you know, the, this morning I got up. I was able to have a shower with warm water. You know, some people don't have that privilege, you know, and it was clean water as well. You know, I, I was then able to go and go make myself a cup of coffee, which I had freely available. I could boil a kettle because we have electricity. I could open the fridge and get the milk out that was all fresh and been delivered. You know, I, I was then able to, to make myself a slice of toast, you know, with a toaster again. All the, all the, just you think of all the things we have that people in other countries don't have any of that stuff. And that's living in a house with a, a wonderful family, you know, and all the, the other blessings that surround our life, just on a material level. And you start to think, you know what, we have been just so, so blessed in, in the, the lives we live in this world in which we are located, in the Western world in which we live. And there's some believers, the ones that we were thinking about earlier on, that don't have any of those things. But now let's compare all of that to the really important stuff, which is that relationship with Jesus. Again, think of all that you have in him. And we've got to be so careful that we don't just strive after the next thing because we already have the greatest thing we could possibly want. And that is our relationship with Jesus. That is where our time should be spent. Let's move on. 
so verse six so uh, that we may say boldly the lord is my helper i will not fear what shall man do to me and, and again you know in this situation there are people that are losing all sorts of things uh, and it may affect some of us in terms of our jobs our careers our businesses and so on but you know what we trust god what what can man do to you what, what can happen in this world that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in the book of Romans. <clears throat> we carry on. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. That word conversation in the King James, it means their lifestyle. And we're all encouraged to do this. You know, to, to think of those that have some sort of spiritual impact or influence in your life. You know, remember them, pray for them, not just just think about them from time to time, but pray for them. You know, I, I really do appreciate your prayers. You know, there are challenges uh, in, in being a pastor. And I'm so blessed we have such a wonderful fellowship, truly. But I need your prayers, you know, even as I study, you know, just praying that I don't get distracted by things and not, not so much things around the house, but things in my own head and my own heart. You know, I'm just praying that God would just continually keep me close to him. You know, if there's one thing I could ask you to pray for all the time is that just keep my heart close to his. Keep me walking in the way that that's what I need. If my relationship with God is right, well, I can be a blessing to others. You know, and this is also saying, you know, remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. I hope I can be an encouragement to you as you look at my life, as you look at the the faith that I've shown. And look, I, I've stumbled so many times. I've I've not acted in faith at times when I should have done. But there have been times where I truly have stepped down in faith, you know, and I've trusted God. And I hope that's been an example. And we can be an example to each other in these things too. But it also says, you know, considering the end of their conversation, you know, look where their their lives are going. Verse eight: Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. You know, God is so consistent. And, and we have this admonition already that, that we should hold on to Jesus, looking unto him, we saw in, in chapter 12, uh, the author and finisher of our faith. And also that he is an anchor to our souls. You know, in the context here, you know, remember them that have rule over you. And then it says, considering their end. And then it says, think about Jesus. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever consider where we're going consider that eternity consider the steadfastness of a relationship that's abiding in christ verse 9 be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace not with meats which have not profited them which have been occupied therein you know there's all sorts of weird and wonderful doctrines going on i mentioned earlier this uh, email i had from this brother um who was just asking about the whole uh, spiritual mapping thing. You may have come across this. Uh, look, this is just a rehash of stuff that's been going on you know, for years within the Christian church. The, the idea that, you know, you can go to a particular location and you can try and find out what principality or power has got some sort of authority there. And then you target that principality or power and you bring down these supposed strongholds. And that is all unbiblical nonsense. That's not what we find in scripture. I, I had a book. And I I've still got it. It's kind of hidden behind the books of my bookshelf somewhere. Uh, I haven't thrown it away in case I need to refer back to it at some point. But it's called Wrestling with Dark Angels by a guy called Peter C. Wagner. It, it was awful. I read it. And at the time, when I was young, in my early teens, I thought, wow, you know, everywhere we go, there's these spiritual powers that influence towns and cities. And, you know, to the point that you look up and you see a dark cloud and you think it must be some sort of principality bringing darkness to an area. 
Testament. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Yes, we are told very, very clearly in Scripture, in the book of Ephesians, that there are principalities, there are powers, there are rulers of wickedness in the heavenly places. But guess what? Our job is not to bring them crashing down. We don't go out and do some spiritual mapping. That That's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, the only occasion in Scripture where we find a principality or a power that's been brought down, if you like, is in the book of Daniel, where Gabriel comes to speak to Daniel and, and the prince of Persia uh, withhold, uh, withstands him. But then after the prince of Persia is removed, the prince of Greece comes. Well, the, 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 the prince of Greece was far worse than the prince of Persia. So actually, there's no good scriptural president to say we should go out and try and bring down these these spiritual powers. And again, people get so caught up, they become bondage for people, uh, you know, chains the whole people spiritually. The best book on the subject I've ever read, uh, and I've recommended it to a few already, uh, is the one by Pastor Bill Randalls, um, which uh, is, is, is Making War in the Heavenies, is the title of the book. You can get it on Amazon. It's relatively cheap, but it's a really good, balanced view of spiritual warfare. So, again, let's get back to the topic. It's simply saying be so careful of the doctrine that just blows through the church, the things that you can get caught up with. You know, and, and here it's talking about, you know, the different meats and stuff. What can you eat? What can't you eat? All those kind of things. You know, that that doesn't help us. You know, let, let's get focused on the word of God. That is truth. And let's not get blown aside by these other things. And then again, on is this next section, verse 10 onwards. For we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Speaking of this heavenly as opposed to earthly. And we've already seen a lot of comparisons in the book of Hebrews of these things. And then it goes on and says, uh, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest of sin are burned without the cap. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we actually looked at this. That That's a, a map of uh, Mount Moriah. I'm um, just looking from the, the area. Now, of course, Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham takes Isaac uh, to offer him up as a sacrifice. Uh, of course, the Lord intervenes. Uh, now, that place, the top of Mount Moriah, where they'd have been heading, is this place up the top here. Hopefully you can see that, which is a place you and I today know as Golgotha. Uh, and you've got this area below the threshing floor of Ornan. This is the place where David when that plague hit Jerusalem and so on, that's where he offered up a sacrifice to the Lord and buys this, this threshing floor. Uh, if we move on, uh, just so you see, you've got Mount of Olives to the right, you've got Mount Zion to the left, and then the Kidron Valley going through, and the Taropian Valley again to the other side of, of Jerusalem, and the Hinnom Valley uh, down the bottom. You can see there those things. The peak again, Akedah, this is where Isaac was offered. I'm just going to go in, zoom in on this. Now, I'm just going to go back to that one. That's, again, the same map looking from the from the edge, the, uh, um, the topology of the area. And you can see there uh, the Temple Mount as it is today, and then Golgotha right at the top of the peak. You can see this is no doctrine. You can just look at this on any, any map. Uh, you can see it's exactly the same place. Okay, so where the Temple Mount is today, the, the peak is Golgotha uh, there. Now, if I overlay on that a picture, typically as you'd find in the back of your Bibles, you see that at the top here, this is where the tomb is, where Calvary is. There are, you know, those that, that question where the tomb is. Well, I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever. This is the location. Uh, it's the only place that fits, and it fits beautifully with these maps, as you can see. You know, just overlaying the, the aerial shot of the area and the, the map in your Bible, this is exactly the right place. It's, it fits every, um, you know, checklist. But here, this is the point I'm trying to get to, you've got the city wall. This is the wall of Jerusalem. And look where Calvary is. Calvary is outside of the city wall. 
Okay, so just as the, the writer of the Hebrews is, is reminding us here that just as the law had said that the offering had to be taken outside the city. This is from Leviticus. And the skin of the bullock and all its flesh with its head and with its legs, its inwards, its dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place. Okay, notice without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out. And then this is what's going to happen. You're going to burn him on the wood. Well, burning, obviously speaking of judgment, and of course on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, he shall be burnt. And this is exactly uh, what we're reading here in Hebrews. You know, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest of sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gates. Okay, so, um, you know, just another, uh, just incredible uh, bit of, of scripture, just, just showing the 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 law, all that have been given in the law, all pointed forward uh, to Jesus. So we go on and it says, verse 13, then the challenge to us, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. It kind of, there's an implication here of of, of leaving the status quo, leaving the, the confines, the comfort of the city, leaving the um, the comfort that may come from institutionalized religion, all those kind of things. We're to go out of that. You know, to leave all of those things behind, you know, to, to move away from those things. Just as Jesus went outside the city, as these prophets, these, these verses are said, it says, let us go, therefore, unto him. OK, Jesus isn't part of this world system in that sense. Yes, he will come back and rule and reign over the earth. But, you know, the, the kingdom that we're part of is not an earthly kingdom in that sense. The kingdom of God is this kingdom that, that we get to inherit. And, and as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. We're, we're to get out of the worldly systems, the worldly way of things. And then we carry on. It talks about bearing his reproach. Okay, so again, all the, the reproach that was on Christ, we're told that you know, if they hated Christ, they're going to hate us too. And then it goes on and says, verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. I love that 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 verse. You know, we don't have this is not home. Abraham wasn't wasn't going to build a great big mansion in the house. He was to, content to live in tents. Why? Because he recognised that this world is not home. This world is just a, a shadow land. That C.S. Lewis term. You know, we're getting ready, and the, the writer has already in the last chapter talked a lot about the hope that we have. You know, but now he's saying, you know, let us let's get out of this world system. Let's get out of these things. Yeah, we don't have a, a, a city here, but we are seeking one. We're looking forward to one. That's our eternal hope. That's our eternal dwelling. And therefore, verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. You know, if we are a believer, it should be something that is natural, that we want to praise him. But in praising, there is a sacrifice. It's not something we can always do very easily. Sometimes we have a difficult day. Sometimes we're met by challenges. Well, guess what? That's when we should praise. You know, the largest single category of Psalms in the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. You know, God understands our trouble, our, our, our troubles, the experiences we go through. But that's when we should praise. It's when we're in those situations. You know, it's like Jonah. Jonah, at, down at the depths, that's when he cries out to God. You know, well, you know, really, we need to be able to do it before we get there. But praising God is something that is often a sacrifice, but it's so helpful, so beneficial, so great for our spirits and our souls. My gran, I may have said this before, uh, when I was younger, 
after school I used to get home and my mum used to give me the newspaper to take down to give to my grand. And Grand used to sit me down uh, and just talk to me about the Bible, used to read Oswald Chambers bits to me, you know, and at the time I didn't realise how much of a blessing that really was. Uh, I looked back and realised what an influence those days were. But my grand always used to say to me, you know, whenever you've had a bad day, whenever things aren't going well, praise God. Just stop and go and sing praise to him or praise him from your heart or read Psalms or something to praise God. And she said, and the, that oppression you kind of feel or that pressure will lift. Uh, and so many times I remember coming home from school, I'd had a difficult day or problems with friends, you know, um, mocking me because of my faith or just other, just whatever challenges and coming home and praising God and just feeling so different afterwards. You know, praising God is a good thing to do and we don't have to do it just on a sunny morning. You need to be able to get in the habit of praising praising God anywhere at any time. Look, what the writer here is saying is that the priests in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, they had the offerings. We have something so much better than that. But the offering, the sacrifice that we bring is not a sacrifice of, of bulls and goats or whatever, because that's all been paid for. The sacrifice we bring is a sacrifice of praise and it's pleasing to God to do it. Verse 16, it says, but uh, to do good and to communicate, forget not. Okay, so it's saying the admonition is we should keep doing good things. Of course, praising God is the the highest of those things um, and communicate. We need to encourage each other as well um, for with such sacrifices. God is well pleased. Verse 17, we get back to the theme that we touched on um, uh, back in verse seven. And it says here, uh, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they that watch for your souls as they that must give account. Now look, there's a, there's a stern warning and Peter tells the same thing for those that, that teach. There is a warning that we will be subject to stricter judgment because we're not just dealing with, um, in fact, it was uh pastor Sandy Adams, a pastor's conference a year, or, a year or two ago, um, was speaking about the pressure the pastors are under spiritually and uh, saying, you know, that even a doctor is only dealing with life and death. Now I don't trivialize that, but in comparison, a pastor is dealing with eternity, eternal life, eternal death. The weight of responsibility, making sure we teach that which is true, which is correct according to scripture. You know, it, it is a very serious, uh, solemn responsibility. And, and hey, look, every pastor you speak to, we tell you the same thing. We are so grateful um, for this calling. But it is sometimes a, a challenge. I, I would hesitate at using the word burden. But sometimes, you know, it can be the Lord can burden our hearts with those in our, our fellowships. You know, and sometimes we can feel broken for, for people as we're praying for them and just pleading that God will intercede and work in your life. So, you know, and it goes on and says here, um, for they, uh, for they watch over your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know, and very often when pastors get to speak in other places that are not their own fellowships, one of the things they admonish the congregation to do is to pray for the pastor and, and not be antagonistic or difficult toward the pastor. Um, but it is true, you know, it, we need to be working together. And, and look, it's great that we have um, accountability. Uh, and of course, I'm accountable to you. And if you ever feel I say or teach something that you don't think is right scripturally, well, then don't just come with your opinion, but come with scripture. And let's talk about those things because that's how we grow together. Now, you know, it's again, just this admonishment that we, we are growing together. And in verse 18, the writer says, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. 
But I beseech you the rather to do this, that you may be rest- that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, seemingly, this is, as I said already, Paul that is writing this from Italy. We know that because it says that Italy at the end is where it's come from. Um, you know, and Paul just longing to get back to these saints that he's writing to here. He's already admonished them, encouraged them, given these warnings in this uh, epistle to the Hebrews, just saying, I want to be back with you. I want to bless you face to face. Well, hey, we can experience just a small amount of that in this lockdown. How lovely it's going to be when we get back together face to face. Paul saying that. Please pray that this will be over soon, that we can get back to that. And then verse 20, now may the God of peace, God is a God of peace. You know, we, we looked in a previous chapter about chastening. You know, sometimes the Lord has to chasten us. But God ultimately is a God of peace. He wants our peace. And that peace comes from our minds, the minds, the hearts that are stayed on him. The God of peace that brought again, this is this is the, the statement that's being made, that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Okay, so that's the standard. That's the God that we're speaking about. That's what he can do. That's what he's done. May that God make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Interesting, isn't it? Speaking so much about grace is the underlying theme here, but actually speaking about works. But of course, we know the works and the grace all work together. When we're recipients of his grace, there should be the work that comes from that, that naturally we want to do things. And it's saying, may the God has done all those things and raised Jesus from the dead, make you perfect in every good work. The idea is, is, is perfect in terms of being complete, fulfilling the work that the Lord has assigned you, the ministry that God has given you. You know, the prayer is that you be complete. And you fulfill the, your calling. If you don't know what your calling is, ask God. I mean, there are generic callings applicable to all Christians. We're called to go, to preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, but there are other specific callings we have. And if you're not sure what the Lord's called you to, well, then ask God to show you. Ask God to reveal it. He will. Okay, and then when he reveals that which he wants you to do, don't stop doing it. Do it continually. Okay, this is what is is being said here that, you know, we we won't find peace unless we are in that place of fulfilling that which God has called us to do. You even even as a Christian, sometimes it's hard to find joy, you know, unless you're doing that which God has called you to do. That's when we're content. And it may be something that will come with tribulation and persecution and trials, but we can still have joy in the midst of all of those things if we're walking in his will. Again, we're told it's well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This to me just does smack of Paul again. That, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter who it was, but that, you know, the moment Jesus is mentioned, you just, this, we just have to erupt into praise. It's the same thing. Jesus is mentioned here. I can't mention Jesus without saying, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what, is, just, just think of how much he's done for us. Every time we mention his name, we should almost pause. I mean, look, we're familiar, of course, with the way that Muslims speak about their um, deities, their heroes and so on, and Muhammad and yeah, Allah and so on. You know, well, for us, should we not even more when we speak about the living God, praise and worship him and to declare his greatness? Sometimes, you know, somebody says, praise the Lord. We kind of look at it and think, oh, religious nut. But actually, shouldn't that be with all of us? There should be something about us that whenever somebody speaks about Jesus, we just want to go, yeah, that's my Lord. That's my savior. So just to to conclude, it says, verse 22, and I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. For I've written a letter to you in a few words. This has got to be Paul, does it not? I've written a small letter to you. I mean, this is a reasonably big letter. I think you'd agree, the letter to the Hebrews. 
But yeah, I just just a few comments. It's just you know. But this is these things have been written. What's being said here is listen to them. This exhortation, the things that we've gone through through this study. And if you want to go back and review it, please review the studies we've gone through. I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. For I've written to your letter unto you, in a few words, and then it says, "Know that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom." If he comes, surely I will see you. See me again. This is Paul now just concluding this letter and ending as Paul does so many of his letters. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. That's the third time he said that. Just trying to em- emphasize that point. They of Italy salute you. That's where this is being written from. And then this great ending as, as so often we see in the New Testament. Grace be with you all. Amen. And that, that's it. It is grace. You know, everything we've read in the book of Hebrews, we, we can't live this life without grace. We need his grace. We can't walk by faith without the grace that he gives. So I hope and pray this, this journey through Hebrews has been a real encouragement, a real blessing to you. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed it. Just let me just again, just give you a very quick 30 second review of what we looked at. It starts by telling us that back in the day, God spoke in various ways, but now he's spoken to Jesus. The language that he uses is that of his son. And of course, it gives us the uh, example of angels. But Jesus is better and he's greater than angels. Jesus created the angels. And then, of course, we have this this uh, comparison with the law. The law could never make anybody perfect, but Jesus, of course, can. He completes that work. And it speaks about the promises that we have in him. Okay, Uh, and then we go on and we're we're given these comparisons, of course, of the high priest, of Moses, of Joshua, of all of these. We're given this example of Melchizedek, this king and priest who ruled and reigned in Jerusalem uh, for this period of time. A whole period of time, a kings and priests reigned for a thousand years. And of course, it looks forward to our king and priest who will reign for a thousand years, saying that Jesus' priesthood is not based upon uh, hereditary, a family line as Aaron's was. This is based upon being chosen by God. Uh, and then we go on, of course, looking at the, the summary in verse 8. So halfway through the letter, we get a summary uh, of, of that Christ is better than all these things. The comparison with the earthly sanctuary and all that is in heaven. And really the focus then shifts to speak about all that is in heaven, all that we've got ahead of us. And then we get to the um, great statements of faith in chapter 11. Again, hope in chapter 12. And then we've just concluded with that love, loving each other, loving the fellowship, loving those outside the fellowship. Loving those around the world, our brothers and sisters, making sure that marriage unit is secure and safe and praying for each other in regard to those things, you know, and then everything that we've just looked at, all summarized by that grace of God. May God richly bless you through this coming week. This is closing prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time this morning, but Lord, also, also over recent weeks as we've been on a journey through this book. Oh Lord, I pray you impress these things upon our hearts. May we learn from them. May we grow in grace. Father, help us to listen to these uh, exhortations that we've read in this chapter, to reread it and to, to apply them to our lives, to love each other, to really care and lift each other before your throne, to remember our part in the body. Oh, Lord, and just to be the people you want us to be, Lord, not coveting and striving after things with this world, Lord, not wanting the next thing all the time, but Lord, just wanting you, the one who doesn't change, the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. We just ask all these things, Lord, for your grace, for your protection, Lord, that we would grow in knowledge and in that grace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.